The following message was recorded Sunday, October 22, 2023. Pastor Rich shares from Zechariah 12 and 13 on what God is doing in Israel today. And what does it mean for the Church of God? And now, here's Pastor Rich. Where are we on our study? Acts 7. We're going to 8, but Acts 7. And so during the week, I've been looking at Acts 7. Yesterday, I looked at Acts 7. Last night, I looked at Acts 7. This morning, I got up and I started to study again for Acts 7. And then at 8 o'clock this morning, God changed my message. (laughs) I love when he does that, but it frustrates me at the same time, you know. Because I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm not a manuscript preacher. I know some preachers prepare their sermons a quarter ahead of time. Three months ahead of time. I know some preachers do it a month ahead of time. You know how far ahead of time I prepare my sermon? About five minutes before I walk up here. (laughs) And whose service is this? And whose church is this? You know, many of you have referred in our conversations at times, you'll say, well, your church. And what do I always say? It's not my church. No. And anyone who would take ownership of his church doesn't understand. It, It is his church, and he's the head of the church. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do at any given time. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we give him freedom in his church. And that's why I, I, none of this is orchestrated or scripted. You know, some churches, it's so scripted. I mean, right to the minute. You have to end at a very particular thing. You start at a time, end at a time. Everything is choreographed. Everything is scripted. Well, I don't know that God intended it to be that way. Okay, but let's go on and think about how we ended the service last time we were together in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is making his defense. Now, we're not going to park in 7, so just listen to me. You don't need to turn there. You can listen to me. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to be making his defense before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin of his defense of his embrace of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagi, the King of Israel. Messianic Judaism was birthed on Pentecost. And all of the many followers of Jesus in those first few years were Jews, not Gentiles. And it was called the ecclesia, the called out assembly or the congregation. Okay? But that's what we see there. And so as Stephen is making his defense, he goes all the way back to the beginning of the Hebrews or the Jews. All the way back to who? Abraham. He talks about Abraham leaving Ur er, of er, the Chaldees and going on into Canaan. He talks about Abraham bearing Isaac, Isaac bearing Jacob, Jacob bearing the 12 tribes. And then the, through the 12 tribes, Jacob's favorite son was who? Joseph. Joseph, right. And we said that Joseph, many analogies can be made. Over 300 analogies can be made between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. What would we say the analogies were? He came to his brethren the first time, and and why did he not receive him? Because he was favored of his father. Favored of the father, and therefore they were envious and jealous, and they rejected him, sold him down into slavery, sold him into Egypt, Potiphar's house, eventually Pharaoh's prison. But then God exalted him. And while he was in that place of prominence there in Egypt, he was given a gift. What was that gift? A Gentile bride. Remember? The daughter of Patiphah? Asinath? Now, he goes down. He was rejected by his own the first time. He goes down, and he's a savior of the Gentiles. Because there was a famine coming, and he predicted exactly what would take place. He interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, and everything that Joseph told him they did, and it preserved not just Egypt, but many other 
surrounding peoples. So he was rejected the first time. He went down into Egypt. He was the savior of the Gentiles. And coming to the Gentiles, he is their savior, and he receives a Gentile bride. And through that Gentile bride, he receives children. Children. And what happened after that? He was the preservation of Israel. Remember, when the famine of the land came, Jacob and his sons all went down to Egypt. And the Pharaoh who knew Joseph took good care of them for a time. But Joseph was their savior. First the Gentiles, receiving a Gentile bride, receiving children from that bride, and then saving Israel. Isn't that amazing? This Mary much like Jesus, isn't it? So, and Stephen is recording all of this because they rejected that. He's talking about how they always reject God's will, God's man, God's way. Even to the present day. But then he used another patriarch as an example. Who was that? Moses, 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 right? And Moses, Moses, like Jesus, like Joseph, when he came to his brethren the first time, should have recognized, I'm your deliverer, I'm your savior. And what happened? They rejected him, didn't they? And where did he have to flee to? The Gentiles, to Midian. And there, when he first gets to Midian, what does he do? He saves the daughters of Jethro, saves the Gentiles from destruction. And what does he receive in response? A Gentile bride. And what did she give him? Children, children. Now, after that, what does God do through Moses? He goes back to save Israel. 400 years of slavery. And God heard their cry and sent them a deliverer. But Moses said, one will come a greater than I among the prophets of Israel. Him you will hear. He's talking about Jesus. Hmm. Jesus came the first time to his own. And his own would not receive him. Oh, there's another coming soon in his own name, and the world will receive him, including Israel. And so he left Israel. And we're going to see at the end of chapter 7, with the persecution of Stephen, the witness of the Holy Spirit with regard to the person of Christ, the Mashiach and the Gay, the Messiah of the King, ends and goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles receive him. And what does Jesus bring to us, the Gentiles? Salvation. He rescues us. He saves us. Right? But what's going to happen after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in? He goes back after he receives that bride and many, many, many children. He's going to go back and rescue Israel. Wow. Is that all coincidental? How all of that just falls into place? No, I think not. Remember, Rabbi says, no coincidence. God's sovereign. I am absolutely distressed. A hundred thousand people in the city of London? Demanding freedom for Hamas, for the Palestinians? Demanding this anti-Semitism? Do you know how many, how, how much the acts of anti-Semitism violence has increased in the city of London? 1,350%. Let that number sink in. What happened this week in Detroit to a young Jewish woman who was the head of her reform synagogue? Stabbed repeatedly, murdered on the streets of Detroit. What happened at Michigan University yesterday in a football game? On the big scoreboard of the university, a picture of Hitler. 
and their pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian stance. Michigan is noted as having the highest concentration of population of what? Muslims, Muslims. All of the, the pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel protests that are happening in our, in our country, every major city, unbelievable, isn't it? Do you, do you find that shocking to you? And the anti-Semitic hatred that's boiling over in the rest. Listen, 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 listen to me now. If you're Jewish, or if you love Israel and the Jewish people, there's never been a more dangerous place to be in the United States than right now. And right now, there's going to be a testing. You want to know who a true Christian really is? If they really study their Bible, they know the scriptures, they know the heart of God, then they're going to have a love for Israel and they're going to stand for the, for the Israel of God. Israel as a nation, the Jews as a people, and obviously the body of Christ, the church. But anti-Semitism is growing within Christendom, the final of the kingdoms that affect the Gentile community. But the next kingdom to come, the messianic millennial kingdom that Jesus talked about. But how do we understand all of this? How do we understand all this? Listen to me. Two weeks ago, no one would have expected to happen what happened, did they? Friday night when, when all of Israel went to bed, when they were celebrating the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Would they ever have expected that they would wake up to what they did on Saturday morning? Everything was normal. Everything was as always. Until Saturday, until two weeks ago. And now they're fighting a war on how many fronts? No less than four. No less than four. Gaza, the West Bank, Syria, Lebanon. And I, I would say that Yemen is another one with the Houthis in Yemen. Five fronts. You, you don't understand. I, I, I don't know if you understand the peril that Israel is in, the peril that the West is in right now. We may wake up tomorrow morning and everything will be as normal and we'll go about our business and by Friday we might be in World War III. Do you understand this? I hope you do. I hope you don't have your head in the sand because you need to be informed. Now, how do I process all this? God has not given me a spirit of fear but of love and power and of a sound mind. But how do I process all of this? I am, yes, he is coming, my dear. And we're ready, aren't we? Yeah. You want to practice? I am so thankful that Father, Father has told us all that was going to take place and it should bring comfort to our hearts. But we know, as Father has declared to us in the book of Acts, I guess 1422, that we don't enter the kingdom except through many tribulations. And, and that's for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, you see. But as I was thinking about all of this and so grieving my heart and preparing to teach you through the rest of this portion of Acts, God said, no, that's not where I want you to go this morning. I want you to explain to these folks, my people, not my people, my people, exactly what's happening and how to understand this, how to process this. Because how many of you know that the absolute worst is yet to come for Israel? Now, it grieves me. 
God's judgment is going to be on Gentile nations, and that's permanent. But God's punishment is on Israel, and that's temporary. What, what father ever enjoys punishing their children? You know, my son was such a strong-willed boy. Oh, boy. You wouldn't think so now that you know him, but... But I, my will to train him was stronger than his will to disobey. And I swear I spanked him every single day till he was 12. Really? I mean, you know, just you know, wear you out, boy. Right? But did I take pleasure in any of that? Any punishment I had to bring in his life? Any discipline? Exercising my... No, never. Never. But my, my punishment wasn't a judgment. My punishment was to train him. And that's what God is doing with Israel. He's going to turn their hearts back where it should be through all of the affliction and the tribulation that they're going to go through. And, and listen to me, listen to me. God is going to be testing the hearts of the multitudes of Gentiles very soon. I wonder if we should hang an Israeli flag below the American flag here on our flagpole. I wonder if we did that, how many of you show up next week? Or be afraid? No, I'm just saying, you know, listen, listen. There are a lot of people are going to step back and they're going to be afraid to show their support for Israel, for the Jewish people and the God of Israel because of the intimidation that Satan is bringing about in the world today. And it's going to cause many to take a step back. And we know that this swell, groundswell of, of anti-Semitism is going to bring the governments of the world to all turn against Israel eventually. Because Israel now is the perp. And the Palestinians are now the victims in the eyes of so many. And, and how did it get like this? How did this craziness, this madness take place? The teachers' union, academia, where the generation that we're seeing now coming up, where we lost this generation, is in the public school system and the universities that they went to. Do you understand that? And short of God's intervention, short of God putting his hand over this nation to make sane the minds of so many people, our culture's lost. Now, you just need to make sure you know where you stand. What is your purpose? If your purpose is the pleasure of life, well, that's going to end soon for you. I'm, I'm not a prophet. I don't have a crystal ball. God forbid. But I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm just sharing with you what's on my heart from the word of God and as I'm watching what's taking place in our world. And if you are living for a purpose, man, you're going to be as bold as a lion. You're going to be on fire. Whether I live, whether I die, all for the glory of God and to the praise of his grace. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right. So I want you to understand what's taking place. We may be a little longer than usual. I don't think so. I hope not. But turn with me to Zechariah, chapter Chapter 12, 13, and 14 to the end of Zechariah's prophecy. 12, 
Yeah, take your time. Go to the last book of the Old Testament. That's Malachi, the Italian prophet. Some people think he's Jewish. <laughs> no, Malachi. Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, right? Go there. And then go one more book to the left, then you, you'll hit Zechariah. And I want you to look at the last three chapters of Zechariah, 12, 13, and 14. 12, 13, and 14 are one oracle. What's an oracle? A prophecy or a message from God through his mediatorial representative. In this case, it is the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is giving an oracle, a message to Israel from God. 12, 13, and 14 are one oracle. It deals with the spiritual restoration. First, the, the physical restoration of Israel, and then the spiritual restoration, restor, restoration of Israel in the last days, in the end of time, at the consummation of the age, when all things as we know it in this world come to an end. Hallelujah. Hmm? That's what he's dealing with. That's what I want you to understand is beginning to unfold right now. We're at the threshold of all of this that's going to take place. We're almost at the end of the time of the Gentiles. If you really understand Bible prophecy, you understand the two days are just about up and there's a third day coming. The two days are 2,000 years. The third day is 1,000 years. And you, you know, I think most of you might understand that. The first two days we're talking about, the first 2,000 years, the church age. The dispensation of the church age. When the dispensation of the church age is over, what does Jesus bring in? His messianic millennial reign. And how long does that last? And then after that? Oh, my. Oh, mama me, I can't wait. New heaven and new earth and eternity where peace reigns, love, joy forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. All right, Zechariah chapter 12. The burden of the word of the Lord. And all of this, again, I said it's futuristic. The only, it's all futuristic from Zechariah's point of view. But from our point of view, as we're reading it this morning, we're going to see that it's all futuristic except for chapter 13, verse 7. I'll explain that when we get there. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. Wow. Lord of all creation. Isn't that what we sang this morning? Did I talk to you about that or did you do that on your own? <laughs> of course he did it on his own. Aren't we thankful for our worship leader? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, what, and what an addition Hans and, and Aiden have been, haven't they? That violin and the drums. Boy, thank you, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. You know, because, because we're, listen, our faith is a singing faith. We're to be a worshiping community, right? Yeah. Why? Does God start out here? Is he going to be talking about the physical restoration and the spiritual restoration, the rescue of Israel? Why does he start out explaining that he is the God of all creation? Because he's in control. He's all powerful. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can come against him. Do you understand that? Wednesday night, we're in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, we're talking about the judgment of God upon Egypt. Remember? And why was God judging Israel first and then Egypt? Why? Because they put their trust in Egypt. Their alliance in Egypt was what they were trusting in rather than the God of Israel. And Egypt betrayed them. And God judged Israel for not trusting him. He judges Egypt because they betrayed his people. Where is Israel placing its trust today? 
Where? In the United States of America. Yeah. And what word would really describe the attitude of America today? Pride, arrogance, folly, insanity, all those words, really. But we look at the pride of America today, not discerning the dangers that are out there and then protecting, fortifying ourselves against those dangers that are out there because we're so drunk in our own self-confidence. Underestimating our enemies, overestimating our own ability. And let me tell you something. As I was sharing with some of the men on Saturday morning, if you're new to our fellowship and you're a biological male, <laughs> come to our men's study on Saturday morning. If you're a woman who identifies as a, as a man, call me, I'll tell you where to go. <laughs> but seriously, if you're, if you're a man and you want to grow deeper in your understanding of the Word of God and you want to have fellowship with other men, like-minded men and brothers, then you come on Saturday morning. So this past Saturday morning, we were talking about how God will knock out all the props from underneath you that you're putting your trust in. He had to do that with Israel, with Egypt. History repeats itself, doesn't it? And he's going to do it with America and Israel. Israel's not trusting in the God of Israel. I've got to make a couple corrections on some things I said. First of all, Amir Safati is not a pastor. I, I, I said he was a pastor. He's not a pastor. Never been a pastor. Good Bible teacher. Uh, wonderful uh, um, Christian man trying to inform people of what's going on in the world today. Not a pastor. Secondly, I said that the celebration that all those young Israelis were involved in before they were slaughtered was a celebration on the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were celebrating the God of Israel and all that he did in the wilderness wandering. None of that was true. That was my assumption. I just assumed that that was the case. But what was it? It was an orgy. It was, it was Israel's version of the burning man. You know what the burning man is? And you know the, 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 the monument, the, the statue, the idol that was there right in the middle of that? It was a Buddha. It was a Buddha. The whole world is in opposition to Jesus, to Israel's Messiah. The whole world is in an opposition to our Christ. Do you understand that? The enemy knows what's taking place here. But nonetheless, the God who is the God of creation, no one can stand against him. He who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, forms the spirit of man within. Behold, I will, may, I will. Now, pay attention to how many times he says what he will do. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all of the surrounding peoples. What is this cup of trembling? All the nations around the world. What does the cup of trembling mean? Do you know? What? Wrath of God. Wrath of God is judgment. This cup is a cup of judgment. God is going to be judging the nations of the world. What's he going to be judging for? Precisely what's happening right now. Their anti-Semitism, their hatred of his people, of him and his people. Two reasons for Gentile judgment, Old Testament, New Testament. You have dispersed my people, Israel, and you divided my land. And now everyone is calling for a two-state solution. Everyone is calling for Israel to divide their nation, to divide Jerusalem, to commit national suicide. There's only one who's going to intervene and protect them and be their defender. That's the God of Israel. 
Make no mistake about it. The support that we see right now, right now that's taking place in the Mediterranean on behalf of Israel is self-centered. It's for our own self-interest, not for Israel. And as quickly as we're saying we support them, we are going to abandon them. Because the Bible says, I believe the Bible. You believe the Bible? Yeah. Speculations of men are just that, speculations. But the revelation of God is true. It's true because it's in the Bible? No. It's in the Bible because it is true. Because God said it, right? And he said, how many nations of the world will come against Israel? All. All. Would that include the United States? And we see what's happening. It's forming now. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, the nation, the kingdom, Judah, and the city, Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day. Make note of that. In that day. Whenever you see that expression, in that day, three times in chapter 12 here, it's mentioned, uh, excuse me, five times in 12, three times in 13, seven times in 14, in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day. What's he talking about? The day of the Lord. Now, is there anyone here who doesn't know what they don't have to raise your hand, but if you don't know what the day of the Lord is, let me explain it to you. It's a long day. The day of the Lord begins with what? The rapture of the church. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the rapture of the church or even believe in the rapture. And, and you know, it's not important that you believe in it. It's not important at all that you believe with regard to the rapture is that exactly true. What's important is that your heart is given to Christ and Christ alone, and then you don't have to be concerned about it. And if your heart is not given to him, if you have some other idols, some other securities or meaning to your life other than Christ, then, well, you need to be concerned. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then go do anything you want. Is that legitimate? Of course it is. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's a lot of things you aren't going to do. There's a lot of things you will do. Why? Because God is governing your heart. When you raise your children, you raise them to the point that when they leave your house, you don't have to worry about them anymore because you place these things within their heart. Not the law. Oh, but I know now, because it's in your heart. Your heart is governing your actions. Your heart is governing who you are. So important. Believe in your heart. In that day, the day of the Lord, it begins with the rapture of the church. It ends with the, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. It's a long day. Psalm 90 tells us a day is as, a thousand years is as, you look at the prophecy on Isaiah, two days I will strike you, and the third day I'll raise you up and dwell in your sight. The only way to understand that prophecy, Hosea, is that God himself punishes Israel for how many days? And how many, how many years might that be? In the Psalm 90 reckoning? 2,000 years. And Peter understands it completely when he gives the interpretation, right? But then on the, on the, on the third day, I will raise you up, Israel, and you will dwell in my sight. The messianic reign of Christ over Israel thousand-year reign of Christ. That's how you explain that. You understand that? So the day of the Lord, you might have, it might have to be a two-part message. I don't know. But the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church. It ends at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. In that day, verse 4, says the Lord, 
I will. Who's going to do this? The Lord. I will. I will strike every horse with confusion, every tank, every ship, every missile launcher, and its rider with madness. I will open up my eyes on the house of Judah. I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. The governors of Judah shall say in their tent, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength, and in the Lord of hosts, their God. And in that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the wood pile and a fiery torch to the sheaves. Wow. Now, all of the nations, all of the peoples of the world are fighting against Israel and their God. And he's saying to your own ruin. That's what's happening today. Don't listen. Although the majority may be against God, although the majority may be against Israel, God before them, who wins? And that's why he describes himself as the God of all creation, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. And he's going to come to their protection and their defense and their preservation and he's saying that the leaders of Israel, now this is when they're, they're awakened, when the leaders of Israel shall be like a, a fire pan in the fire, meaning they're protected. He's going to protect them as a fire pan is, protects what's inside the, the pan from the fire, from being scorching. He said the leaders are going to be like, like a, a fiery torch among the sheaves. Well, what happens when a fiery torch touches the sheaves? They burn up. And he's considering Israel as the torch. And the world, the nations of the world are the sheaves. He's going to be their protector as a fire pit. He's going to be the defender and he's going to burn them. Listen, I'll never, ever, ever, promise, promise. Look at the rainbow, promise. Doesn't mean what you think it means, that rainbow. Look at the rainbow. <laughs> I promise I will never, ever again flood the earth. Didn't say nothing about fire, did I? I had a guy protesting out here in front of the church one time. He, went, he, he told me I needed to go back to New York. He was going to put a bullet in my head. And uh, before the conversation ended, he was crying in my arms. It's crazy. It's crazy. But he said, is it true? Did you say that the Pope is the Antichrist? No. You've never. His family was coming to the church. I was a Catholic for 30 years. I was speaking. He had it all twisted. You never said that the Pope was the Antichrist. No. No, I was thankful he didn't ask me if I thought he was the false prophet. <laughs> oh, in that day, Israel. And they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. Yes, God will be her protector. God will be her defender against all the... Listen, you don't have to worry. No, no, but the worst is yet to come. When he intervenes, it will be when he knocks out all the props from under them when they have to cry out to him. When there's no seeming hope whatsoever in the world. And they have to go to... You know, it's a wonderful thing when God breaks your arrogance, your pride, your self-love, your self-righteousness. You think you have something to offer? You have no idea who you are. You're nothing. Remember Moses, 40 years, believing he was something? 40 years, knowing he was nothing? 40 years, realizing God can do something with nothing? But you're nothing. Kathy, what is that, nothing? It's the things that rocks dream about, isn't it? Nothing. That's who you are. But when you think you are something, God can't use you. 
You're full of yourself. You're full of righteousness, self-righteousness. You're full of pride. You're full of your arrogance. And nothing looks more hideous in the eyes of God than man's pride, self-righteousness, arrogance. That's Israel today. Now, if that's you, you need to be careful because he's going to knock out all those props that you are su you're supporting yourself in. And it's going to be a day of weeping and gnashing and wailing. But hopefully, hopefully you'll be wise enough to turn to God when that day comes. Oh, there are many religionists. Who killed Jesus? Who killed John the Baptist? Who killed Stephen? No, we killed Jesus, our sin. But who killed John the Baptist? Who killed Jesus? Who killed Stephen? John the Baptist came from God the Father. They killed him. Jesus, the Son of God, they killed him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, they killed him. Who? The religionists. The religionists. What's a religionist? Someone who's believing in his own self-righteousness, his own arrogance, his own pride. Talk to any of the Pharisees in that day. Ask them how many hours they prayed a day. How much of the scripture they had memorized. And they had no love, no understanding of God, just as damned as the worst heathen. Hmm. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be a religionist. The majority of Christendom is comprised of religionists. They have religion in a relationship. The Lord shall save the tents of Judah first. Why is he going to save the tents of Judah? That's the nation, the kingdom. And so, the glory, and, and so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem should not become greater than that of Judah. He's going to save the kingdom. He's going to save the city as well. He's going to save all of Israel and the rulers of Israel. In that day, again, the day of the Lord, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. You know, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David was such a lover. David, what does your name mean? The beloved. The beloved. What a, what a wonderful name. You know. The beloved. David had a bunch of older brothers. Who named them? Well, we, we speculate because we think his father named all of them because all of their names glorify the father, Jesse. And then he came to the run. David, the last one in the litter, you know. Oh, he's, out that, oh, he's just a boy. He's just a boy. He's out there with the sheep, you know. Well, who do you think named David the beloved? Mom. And how is it that Joab and his brothers, Abishai, all came to love Uncle David so much? Because David was loved by his sisters. David was a wonderful man, a loving man. David understood the love of God and express that love. Now, he had some issues where he couldn't control his physical desire for love, you know. But nonetheless, the beloved, David. The house of David will be like, every, everybody in the population, every man in Israel will be like David. David was a warrior king. As, as much as David was the sweet psalmist of Israel and had such a loving, compassionate heart, you did not want to meet him in a dark alley if he was your enemy. Mm -mm. We know his exploits. Saul killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. That's what he's saying here. Yeah, the common people will be like, like David, but the leaders of Israel should be like, what does it say? Like God himself. 
Yes, for the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's so judgmental. You ever hear Papa? I love the God of the Old Testament. I love the God of the New Testament. I love God. It's the same God, isn't he? You, you, you cannot fully understand the heart of God without understanding the Old Testament. One of the sweetest stories in the Old Testament, the Akadah. What's the Akadah? The binding of Isaac. But here, God tells me in the last days, at the end of time, shortly from today, God is going to begin to judge the nations of the world. And when he does, it will be horrific. It'll be, you cannot compare anything that happens in the Old Testament with what God is going to do in the New. I shared with you, so listen, listen. Who is the manifestation, the personification of perfect love? Jesus only. Perfect love, Jesus. Perfect love. Perfect love records to his angel who gives to John that in two of his judgments against this world, at this time, what happens? Four billion people are destroyed. By who? Perfect love. Perfect, perfect love. I wonder why there's no fear of God in our society. Why there's no fear of God in the church. Why, why, why people can so blatantly live in a lifestyle opposite to what God's will is and think there's no retribution? That they're going to be able to do that with impunity. No, 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 no. The problem is only a matter of timing. All sin and rebellion against God will be judged. And he's going to judge the rebellion and the sin of this world worldwide. I'm sorry, it's not a happy, happy message this morning. The message is given to you so that you understand what's happening out there. And so that you have a hope in your heart. Not unrealistically, not an unrealistic expectation that things are going to go back to normal, that things are going to get better. No. No, I read my Bible. The house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. And how many nations might that be? Hmm. I will pour out on the house of David. Now we're talking about, well, first of all, he's talking about the physical preservation of the nation. As we get later on in the chapters in Ezekiel, we're going to see where God again prophesies the fact that in chapter 36, he's going to preserve the land. Chapter 37, he preserves the people, restores the people back to the restored land. In chapters 38, 39, he's going to restore them spiritually back to himself. This is what he's referring to here as well. The spiritual restoration of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people after all of this that takes place. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son. Oh, boy. I can't imagine what that must be like. You know, lose your son. Some of you know. You've lost children. Who opens their eyes to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. Is that what the text tells us? Or did they come to that understanding on their own? It says in verse 10, well, 
I will. Who's the I will? Who does this? God. Uh, God does this for undeserving who? Does, it, does Israel deserve any of this? Do they merit this in their idolatry? Jeremiah says, my people have committed two great sins. My people, the United States, the church, Christendom, has committed two great sins. What are they? You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And you hewed out for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. You've got all these other props in your life, all these other things that, that are the meaning of your life, your pleasures, your possessions, your position. Not your purpose in me. Not me filling your life and using you. I thought, William John, are you here this morning? No. No. Witness to some people today, I mean this week, and boy, I could tell the light went on. You know? I wanted to end the conversation. They didn't. I had to go. I had to do some things. But they just wanted more. They wanted more. Can I have your number? Can I? You know? But listen, that's my, my purpose now is to know him, to make him known. Everyone I can now. Why? Because time is running out. Stop thinking about the fact you're going to build yourself a future in this temporary world that is passing away and the lust thereof. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm not saying to throw your brains in a basket, okay? We live in this world, but we're not of it. We live in this world and we prepare as if it's coming a thousand years away, but we expect it when? At any moment. And are you living like that? Like you really, truly do. Someone said that to me. He said, you really believe he's coming? Yeah, you preach like you really believe this. Yes, I do. It's my hope. Right? The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. I will pour it on the house of David. I will, Jesus, God's going to do this. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, they will look upon me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. I only have one son. I love my son. We talked this morning. He shares what he's going to share on. I share what I'm going to share on. And he's such a different teacher than I am. He's such a wonderful, gifted man. I want to grow up and be like my son one day. You know. But I do. I adore him. We were talking the other day. He said, you know, you will probably outlive me, Dad. What a horrible thing that would be. My, my family has too much longevity. I'm going to, you know... hope not. But, but I'm going to be here longer than I want to be if, if everything goes. But I don't think I will. But on his mother's side, well, it's not so good. You know, that longevity is not there. And so he made that comment to me. I said, oh, boy, that hurts my heart. I, I, I lost your mother. I don't lose you. I perish the thought. God forbid. May it never be. No, I mean, that would, that would crush me. Why? He's my only son. I love him. After service, if you got the time, just ask me about him, and I'll we'll spend the afternoon. <laughs> but he was a rascal growing up, and he got a lot of this. But that's what's made him the man that he is. In that day, verse 11, there'll be such a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimen in the plain of Megiddo. 
And the, and the land shall mourn every family by itself. What is this mourning at Haran Ribbon? <laughs> Josiah, King Josiah. What, how old was King Josiah when he came to the throne? Eight years old. <laughs> yeah. How old is Beckett? Seven. Another year, we'll let Beckett run the nation. <laughs> Eight years old, Josiah came to the throne. How long did he reign? 31 years. 31 years. Now, just listen. All the northern kings were evil. They're all bad. All bad. All the northern kingdoms of the kingdom of Israel, capital Samaria. All of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, the kingdom was divided after Solomon. United kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. But after Solomon died, the division. Enemy loves, loves to create division, loves to create division among marriages, loves to create division among families, loves to create division among churches. Okay? Terrible, terrible, terrible. But divided kingdom. Northern kingdom, Israel, capital Samaria, not one good king. All of them were evil. Southern kingdom of Judah, a little bit of a difference. How many good kings? Eight. Of all the kings of Judah, eight were good kings. Four were reformers. One of the greatest reformers in all of Israel was who? Josiah. Josiah. Wow. At eight years old, God had put his hand upon him. Don't ever negate what God can do in the life of a child. God has his hand on some of our children. I can see it. But God's got a hold of them. Wow. So Josiah was a righteous king, and unfortunately, he got involved in a battle that he shouldn't have with the Egypt, with Pharaoh Necho II, and he was killed. And so there was a great mourning. And where was he killed? In the plains of Esdralon, which is the valley of Megiddo, Jezreel, the Jezreel Valley. What's going to happen there? Oh, boy. Yeah. Armageddon. Hmm. That's the mourning he's talking about. Now, he talks about those who are going to mourn. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shemei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. I was, I can remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I mean, the whole nation was in mourning. Well, you know, whether you voted for him or not, it didn't matter. I mean, the whole nation was in mourning. Our, our president was assassinated. You remember, how many of you remember that? Yeah, I clearly remember that day. The, the crying, the sadness. Whew. Now, this is what he's talking about here. But what are they crying for? What are they, what are they grieved over? What are they lament, lamenting? They killed their own Messiah. They look upon him whom they have pierced and say, I did that. Who killed Jesus? You did. I did. My sin and your sin. What's the only things that are man-made in heaven, what are they? The slice in his side, the holes in his hands, and in his feet. Yeah, that's what we've accomplished. Yeah. Why does he describe it this way? The family of David, the family of Nathan, the family of Levi, the family of Shimei. Why does he describe it this way? Prophet, priest, Prophet, excuse me, king, prophet, priest, people. Everybody. 
rulers, peasants, rich, poor, everybody. God promised in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that all Israel shall be saved. And there's coming a spiritual awakening. Now, it doesn't mean every Jew, but God is going to preserve Israel as a nation among the nations forever. Forever. And when this day comes, when God pours out the spirit of grace and supplication upon all of Israel, all of Israel will see Jesus. Listen, the only way the light came on in your head, because you were so wise, you were so gifted, you were so intuitive, you were so kind that you chose Jesus. Is that what happened? Please wipe that arrogance and that pride and that nonsense out of your head. If you came to an understanding of Jesus, it's only because he gave you that understanding. God takes responsibility, takes credit, takes ownership of saving Israel completely. God saves Israel. I will, I will, I will, I will. You know, he said the same thing about you and I. Now, now that he's wakened you up, now that he's opened your eyes, now that your heart and your life has opened him, now, now we will obey him. We will love like Jesus loves. More appropriate, we will let Jesus love through you. We will read the Bible and say, there's nothing here I don't want to do, Lord. Your, your word and your law is a delight to me, Lord. It's not trying to see how much I can get away with and still hope I'm saved. That's most of Christendom. No, it's what my purpose now. My purpose in serving you, my purpose in giving you my whole heart to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. All Israel, the family of David, the family of Nathan the prophet, the family of Levi the priest, the family of Shimei the people, all Israel will be saved. Hallelujah! Isn't that wonderful? Now, why is that wonderful? Why is it wonderful? Brack, you don't know how wonderful it is when your people come to know Jesus as their Messiah because their rejection of Jesus has brought about what? My salvation. Your people's rejection of their Messiah gave me hope of being saved because of their rejection from chapter 8 and Acts on. It's the salvation of the Gentiles. Their rejection of their Messiah has brought about my salvation. And then Paul says, what in the world do you think that their acceptance, their coming back into the fold is going to do? It's like one what? Coming back from the dead. Do you understand this? Whoa, come on. Hallelujah. This should make you crazy with joy. Moses and Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Then they turned around, and here comes Pharaoh's army. Oh, no! Whoosh, gone. They were out of their mind with joy, weren't they? Mary and Lazarus. Mary and Martha, I mean. He, he's dead, Jesus. Jesus, don't do this. He stinketh. Don't remove the stone. He's been in there for three days. He's dead. He walks out. Okay. Can you, if my Roberta, if your Gus, if your Bradley, whoever you lost in your love, walked in this room right now, what would happen? He would explode with joy. There would be a joy and a happiness that you couldn't, you can't even imagine. You can't, do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is what God is saying, how we should feel, Gentile, you goyem, church, with the restoration of the Jews. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be mind-blowing when they return to their Messiah, and he's going to so bless the world, the whole world. Wow. 
I can't wait. I, I don't know about you. The little bit that I understand, I'm just so full with, with hope and expectation of what he's going to do. Are you? I, I could cry about it. Oh, it's so joyous. You think I'm mad? I'm not mad. I'm crazy. I'm not. I just, I just, I, I believe it. It's here and I believe it. It's in my heart. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. What were those two evils that Jeremiah talked about? What were the two evils that Jeremiah talked about? You've forsaken the fountain of living water and you've hewed out for yourself singes and hold the whole water. Jesus stood on the last... That, that Friday night when all those kids were involved in that... that Burning man of Israel, whatever you want to call it, that pagan celebration. That's the last day of the great feast of Israel. The Feast of Tabernacles, the whole harvest comes in. You know, why do we celebrate Thanksgiving at Thanksgiving? Because historically, as an agricultural society, that's when the largest gathering of your harvest would take place, right? Pumpkin pie and apple pie and turkey. And oh boy, I'm getting hungry just talking about it. Isn't that true? But it's really, Tabernacles speaks of a harvest of souls that he's going to bring in. On that day, wow, wow. And on the great day, the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he screamed, he yelled out. What did he yell? If any man thirst, What's your purpose? Are you living for pleasure? If you're living for pleasure, you're still thirsty. You're broken. If any man thirsts after me, after meaning, after purpose, after fulfillment, true fulfillment, let him come unto me. And out of his innermost being will gush forth rivers of living water. The fountain of living water. And then John gives us commentary. You don't have to guess what it means, okay? You, you don't need to get, well, get a commentary. He gave it for us. He said, and this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom he would give. Precisely who he's giving to Israel at that time. Now, uh, do you have religion or do you have the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I don't know you. I live with her. I don't live with you. But I do know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit is. And what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? How much you pray? How much Bible you know? It didn't save the Pharisees. What's the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Love. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and who should be experiencing all of that more than anybody else in my life? Who? Honey bunny. That's right. And my son and my daughter-in-law. And everybody else is in my life, and hopefully you, right? But, but, but where, where, listen, the real demonstration of the spiritual life is in the love like Jesus love. That's the bottom line. It's not how much you know here. I don't care how much you know here. How much you know here. And that'll show itself here. Do you understand? And if it's not showing itself here, it's all here, it's not here. 
Oswald Chambers, uh, most first highest. I love reading Oswald Chambers. <sighs> Why? Not because he touches me here, because he doesn't. Pretty simple to understand, Oswald. But because he touches me here. And I used to love reading Tozer. Anybody read Tozer? I don't read Tozer anymore. Tozer used to touch me here, but not here, when I understood how cruel and how rude he was to his wife and children. Oh, he, he, theologically he was correct. Doctrinally he was correct. But if you know not love, and, and read his bio, you read his, his wife and his children's own testimony. Oh, Aiden loved the Lord, just didn't love us very much. How can that be? How can that be? I don't know why I had to say that. Somebody must have heard, needed to hear that. Yes, a fountain shall be opened, a fountain of the Holy Spirit poured upon the house of David in Jerusalem for sin, for uncleanness. He's going to cleanse them all. He cleanses you. You don't cleanse yourself. He's justified you. He's sanctified you. He will glorify you. He takes responsibility for the whole thing, doesn't he? Salvation, soteria, it's all of that. But God will bring about my justification, right? That's a work of God. But my sanctification is my cooperating with I've got to dance with him. Okay? I've got to dance in humility and submission. For the sanctification that God wants to bring about in my life to really take place, I have to get on my knees and I have to surrender every single day. Every single day, the first thing in the morning, I look at the most dangerous person in my life. Who's that? Me. In the mirror. Yeah. Do you even, I hope you understand that. But the way in which you're living your life will tell me whether you understand it or not. Yes, in that day, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, I don't know, I say, oh, that's the name that God refers to himself more than any other in the Old Testament. What does it mean? The Lord of the armies, or the God of the armies. He's mad. Yes, in that day, the Lord of hosts, that, that I will cut the, off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits, oh boy, to depart from the land, the idols. He's going to cut off the idols. What are the idols? Materialism. Baal. Foot the Baal. Base of Baal. Go for Baal. No, not, not, not those sports, but, but listen to me. How many parents more concerned about their children's athleticism than they are the spirituality? That's why we're in the soup we're in. They're more concerned about their athleticism or, or, their, or their intellectual education, right, than they are the spiritual development. And now we've got a whole host of, of young people in this country. Their minds are twisted. Their lives are upside down. Pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, hate Israel. From the, from the river to the sea, from the river to the sea, that's what they're crying out. Los Angeles, New York, all over the country, Washington, D.C. What does it mean from the river to the sea? Kill every Jew. Drive them into the Mediterranean. That's what they're saying. This sounds like Nazi Germany. Do you understand? Do you really? This is all demonic. Wow, look at this, look at this, look at this. What is God going to do at this time? And it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols. Baal, worship of materialism. Ashtoreth, the worship of sexual pleasure. Molech. What's Molech? Child sacrifice. Abortion. And then eventually, Nemosh. What was Nemosh? the God of the underworld. I want power. I want pleasure. I want everything I desire. Do what thou wilt. I want my way. 
Every man did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges, right? And that would characterize the whole dark period of Israel. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. Are we not there today? We're telling our little boys, their girls, our little girls, that they're boys? It's a woman's health we're worried about. Crazy, it's crazy, crazy. But not only will he cut off the idols, please look, I will also cease, I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. The plethora of false prophets. Jeremiah was a true prophet. Ezekiel was a true prophet. All of the prophets that God sent to Israel, what did they do to them? Oh, they didn't celebrate them? They didn't have a hall of prophets? No. No, they killed everyone. Jeremiah was a true prophet of God. And they persecuted him, maligned him, threw him in prison. Eventually, they killed him. All of the prophets. And what did they embrace? Oh, all of the 400 prof false prophets of Ahab. And look at, look, at, look at the plethora of false prophets we have today. Go on the internet. Go on YouTube. Everybody's got a dream. Everybody's got a vision. And they're lying prophets. It's not God. Not only does he shut the mouth of all of these lying prophets, what else does he do? What else departs? What does it say? And what might they be? Demons. Now listen, this is in the last days. This is in the letters. This is day. Listen, the only way to understand the insanity of our day is demonic. It's a demonic influence that is worldwide now. Unclean spirits. Now, they've always been around. We're going to end here. And we'll pick it up again next week. I'm, I'm sorry. It's going to be a part two. Unless you want to stay. Nobody wants to do lunch, right? Good. Good for you. No, I, I'm just kidding. You're, you're going to go to lunch. Baal is nothing. Ashith is nothing. Molech is nothing. Nemash is nothing. They're just names that they contrived to justify their evil desires, their materialism, their sexual pleasure, inappropriate sexual pleasure, their, their child sacrifice, and, and their worship for power, appropriate, inappropriate with God, but of the occult. Now, those, those demons existed that were behind those entities. Okay? We don't worship by those names, Baal and Ashtoreth. We don't worship by those names anymore. But those same demons are active, very, very, very active today. Do you understand that? And the only reason why they're active today is because we refuse the gospel, because we rejected him, the fountain of living water. Listen, dark ages. Remember the dark ages in Europe? You know, I read about some of that. Oh, my goodness. It's horrific, horrific. But when, listen to me now, listen to me. All right, just give me a few more minutes. I'll, I'll set you loose. If, if you read the Old Testament, how much demonic activity is in the Old Testament? There's a little bit in Daniel, you know, the prince of Persia, blah, 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 you know. Not a lot. And then there's 400 silent years, the intertestamental period, from Malachi to Matthew, where Israel had begun to abandon God more and more and more. Now remember that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, oh, I'm sorry, there's a little guy here. Oh, I didn't say anything that would fire up his ears, did I, dear? Hmm? Hmm? No? Uh, no, there's a little boy sitting back there. I didn't know he was there. 
And so, Lord, anything I said that might have upset that little guy in his heart and mind, please, before he even leaves this sanctuary, Lord, he'll forget it all. And you just give him your comfort and your love and your embrace, Jesus, in your name. So, when this intertestamental period, as, he, as Israel is moving further and further away from God, the demonic activity increased exponentially. How much did the anti-Semitism and acts of anti-Semitism violence occur, increase in London? 1,350%. Listen, we ain't seen nothing yet. These demons are coming back with a vengeance. Now, what had happened in the Dark Ages? Okay, All of that, all of that demonic activity in the intertestamental period. You get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's demons everywhere. Right? I mean, what, what is going on? How do, how do you explain Old Testament, New Testament? Wow, what's happened here? Well, the farther they may move from God, the more they're influenced by demons, by these unclean spirits. And then, fortunately, the worst of the worst is in the abyss until the time of the end. When the chief of the demons comes down and opens up the abyss and lets them loose, can't, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like then. You don't want to be here then. Listen, you better have a fear of God in you. If you're playing games, if you're playing fast and loose with God in any way, stop it. Stop it. So Jesus comes and the gospel. You know? And now these demonic spirits, these forces, these dark spirits have to be suppressed. And Israel rejects the gospel. Oh, boy, we'll see what's happening as a result of that. But where did the gospel go? Go west, young man, go west. That's what the Spirit said to Paul. And, and the gospels opened up to Europe. And what happened in Europe? Wow. There's a cleansing, a sanctification. There's all of these demonic dark forces. Dark, they, were, they were there, sure, but not, not as prolific, not as pervasive as they were previously. Now they're suppressed. And then, and then our forefathers come here looking for a place where they can just worship God in truth and in spirit, free from a state-mandated church. And oh, how glorious it was and what could have been. But we turn from him. And listen, Jesus said, when, when God cleans the house, you've got to go, spirit. And you don't fill it with God. What happens? He comes back with seven more worse than himself. That's precisely what's happening now. This, this world that we live in is filled with dark, demonic spirits, of which I'm not afraid. I hope you're not. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But that's how you understand what's happening. Let's see. Depart from the land. Let's end here. I'll pick it up next week. We're going to see that there were these false prophets who were masquerading as prophets. Listen, there's a, there's a, there's a, a plurality of false prophets today masquerading as true prophets. The text will tell us that they had, they had coarse hair upon them. If they were wearing coarse hair and a leather belt, who are they trying to imitate? John the Baptist. Now, who is John the Baptist in the spirit of? Elijah. 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 Make no mistake about that. Elijah was a great prophet. Okay? So they're imitating. They're trying to be something they're not. 
And there's a lot of people today trying to present themselves as something they're not, looking for legitimacy. Be who you are and be honest about it. Right? Talking to another fellow this week, he said, oh, my pastor's going through the book of Revelation. I said, really, what's his opinion on What's his interpretation? Well, he really hasn't given us his opinion. I said, he's a coward. Your pastor's a coward. There should be no ambiguity about what I believe. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I'm going to tell you what I believe, okay? God has given me the opportunity to minister on his behalf, to study his word, and to tell you what I believe. And I'm going to tell you what I believe with all my heart. Because of what I believe. And there won't be any ambiguity with me. Now, on those non-essentials, you're free to believe whatever you want to believe, okay? And if you want the opportunity to teach it, go start a church. Go start your church. No, and God will confirm that by surrounding you with men who are faithful to you and believe in your calling, faithful to the Lord. But no pastor should be wishy-washy on what he believes about the Word of God. Has my opinion changed over the years on certain things, on non-essentials? Yeah, yeah, non-essentials. My opinion has never changed on the essentials of the faith, ever. Nor will it ever, God willing. Because he keeps me. I don't keep myself. He saved me, and he keeps me saved. You understand that? You don't keep yourself, beloved. I am so thankful for his saving grace. I am equally and probably as uh, made more appreciative of his saving, his keeping grace. Been depriving myself of ice cream and dreaming about it. <laughs> but he keeps me from all of that, you know? Well, that's just a minor fleshly kind of a thing, but some of those worst manifestations of the flesh. If you lean upon him, if you're looking for him to be your strength, to be that fountain of living water through which your life flows. When we get into Ezekiel, when we get a little further into the text, we're going to see there's a mega, a mega quake in Israel. What happens through that mega quake? You remember? Jesus touched down on planet Earth, and there's a mega earthquake. And what happens as a result of that? There's a river of life that flows from the temple. The river of life that's going to be described in Revelation, the river of life that's going to touch on here in Zechariah, the river of life that Ezekiel talks about. My question to you today, and the only important issue right now for you is, are you in that river of life? Does that river of life flow from your life, bringing life to others? That's the question. Last week, we talked about Moses receiving the living oracles, the living word. It's a dead word if you're not obeying it. It means nothing to you. You're dead to it. Oh, you might know it. The prison is filled with men and women who can quote the Bible, but they just don't live to it. It's not a living word. You understand what I'm saying to you? And time is running out, beloved. And now more than ever before, you need to take your relationship with Jesus very, very seriously. He who loves knows God. He who knows not love does not know God. Love you. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.